Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. everybody welcome to this episode of true crime and cocktails we're so glad that you're here as always i am your host lauren ash and as always i am joined by my co-hostess with the most s christy oxborough how you doing i'm great i uh i mean i have no complaints we we just did a brunch over on patreon a couple days ago um and so i think i'm still riding that high hit him high hit him high hit him high i don't know where that came from (laughs) I loved it a lot. Um, I also don't, I did, I did order pizza in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did text my husband in the middle of that brunch and I I have learned during the brunch, I always want to, you know, order in or something after it. So I just need to accept it. Now that I know it happens every time, I just need to accept it. And just know that that's what's going to happen. But like about an hour in, I just texted him and went, so what if I buy pizza? (laughs) He's like, great. What do you want? And I was like, I don't know. And so I said, I gave him my like, this is what I want. And then I went, wait, or this. And he was like, how drunk are you? I was like, I don't know. The answer is pretty drunk. Um, yeah. You know, I yeah. think also, for those who aren't on Patreon, for clarification, this is a brunch with no food. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Even so if it was, I'd still order pizza after, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah but, you know, it's a live Q&A. Uh, we bring in people into the video with us to chat. It's so much fun. We drink. Um, but yeah, a brunch with no food is dangerous. So usually I have a Thai food order or a McDonald's order or something that goes yeah. in as soon as we're done. I think after this one, I fell asleep. That's also a, a common occurrence for me is uh, yeah. you brunch hard and then you sleep hard, you know? You you like a little booze nap. I love, I, I think some people call it a disco nap, and I, I I would hang my hat on that. 
I would hang yeah. my hat on it. Because for me, it's like, yeah. let me sleep for like 40 minutes and I'm good for another eight hours. <laughs> That's and by true. that I we mean witnessed that hard recently. partying. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, did. we were we yeah. uh, we witnessed that. Oh, what we were watching a movie or something, and you closed your eyes, and without like we kind of looked at each other and we're like, "Oh, she's sleeping." Whatever, leave it. Didn't say a thing, and you just went just like twenty minutes, and we're like, "Yeah, yeah." Like we're not. It's just we're watching a movie. No need. You can sleep through it. And then it was like thirty minutes later. It was like just longer. <laughs> We're like, but then you were like, okay, you were like, uh, there was, I heard movement and I went, are you ready to play the game? And you were like, yep. And I was on my feet. You were. Yeah. Didn't yawn once. And I was, I poured another drink and I was ready to go. I was like, (laughs) I just have to kind of, you know, prioritize my energy. And it was like, I gotta, I gotta conserve if I'm going to play this game. Um, You have a gift. You have a gift for being like, I need to just shut down, reboot, and then I'm good. Yeah, I, some would say an alcohol robot. I would say an alcohol android. Thank you, Data, <laughs> uh, my Star Trek: The Next Generation crush. Uh, speaking of crushes, uh, oh, there is boy. an update, dear listeners, that you all need to have. We have to give a shout out. One of our patrons over on Patreon. Uh, this is a, a lovely young lady named uh, Allie Cousins. She took it upon herself to give herself a project. And what she has done is she has gone back through our entire catalog of this show, yeah, all of our bonus episodes on Patreon, and she's created something that we're calling the Blanche List. <laughs> and it is any time Blanche, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Christie's alter ego, yep. talks about a crush. And what I also should specify, too, is I know you're thinking, oh, celebrity crushes. Well, yes, mostly. But, you know, there's also (laughs) times that she talks about, like, Greg Kading, the (laughs) police detective or, you know, uh, one of my high school history teachers. You know, like there's (laughs) a real mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, at the brunch. So sorry, I just hit my microphone. I, I'm, I'm gesticulating wildly. I'm so excited. Uh, at the brunch, Allie came on. She joined us. It was such a such a treat. And so I said to her, what's the number at? And the number is at 211. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't feel possible. No, it doesn't. But then when you start to like break down the math, it's like, okay, we were, we're, this is episode what, 62, 63. Um, You know, we also have done, you know, 40 some episodes, bonus episodes over on Patreon. So we're over 100 episodes. So it kind of just works out to, you know, two new crushes an episode, which I guess is possible. Yeah. I mean, she did point out uh, one of the Patreon episodes. uh, There was 15 in that single episode. (laughs) wild for lack of better words i think the great point that christy made over the weekend though uh that i have to reiterate is that i want everyone to remember that when the concept came up that christy is a blanche she said oh no oh i'm not a blanche and i was like i love you more than anything but (laughs) you're a blanche Uh, and then at yeah. the time, at the time, she was like, I think, Lauren, I think you're a Blanche. 
cut to this weekend at the brunch, I say to Allie, did you do a tally of the crushes I've mentioned? She said, yes. I said, what's my number? She goes, 20. (laughs) It's less than 10%. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it's, It's just... It's just tickling me so hard. Yeah. It's so funny to me. I love it so much. So much. We we are who we are. <laughs> and that's the thing. This is just who I've always been. It is. Always. It is. Yeah. I mean, I recall growing up constantly being told uh, or being described as boy crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, shut up. Every girl loves JTT. Uh, that's Jonathan Taylor Thomas for the non-90s kids out there. Thank you very much. Um, and I just... Oh, shit. If I've never mentioned him before, that's 212. <laughs> <laughs> that's, see, that's the, that's the thing. Now I'm going to think about it every time and be like, have I mentioned that person before? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, the point is I'm going to need to glance at the list. Yeah. But... Oh, 211. I think I would have been shocked if she said 100. I don't think I saw over 200 coming. Yeah, I feel like I'm like, do I know 211 people? Like, I guess I do, but. (laughs) Well, my comment to her when she said 211 was, are there 211 men? Because I was like, that's not possible. It is. It is, yeah. It is, it is possible. Yeah. Huh. Well, and this isn't just mentions. Like, it's not like she's counting every time you say goodnight to Dave Grohl. Like, this is nope. individuals. Dave got, Dave Grohl would be one on that He's <laughs> one of 211. <laughs> wow. I yeah. love it so much. I love it so much. It's, uh, it's wild. <laughs> it just, is wild. It is the wild. Numbers, the numbers, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there was like a real seven stages of grief situation happening for you. Like it was like denial, (laughs) bargaining. (laughs) And I think you are coming to acceptance. Oh, I accepted that I'm Mrs. Roper years ago. (laughs) Like in the grand scheme of Three's Company, uh, who, who wouldn't love to be Chrissy? Um, just for the sake of having the name Christmas Snow. But yeah. I know in my heart that I'm Mrs. Roper. I know that. So do you think you're Mrs. Uh, Roper, though? Because there's part of me. And again, I say this with love, but I think oh, you might no. be Jack Tripper. <laughs> oh, that's an honor. I thought you were going to say his friend. What was his friend's name? Larry? Was it Larry? Was it La- Larry? Yeah, yeah. I was concerned you were going to say no. Larry. Jack Tripper, I'll take. Because I feel like he was pretty, he was, you know, always had an eye out for the ladies. He did. Well, he lived with two women all yeah. the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. I mean, I guess yeah. the one thing you do share with Mrs. Roper is that you also both, I think she kind of had red hair and you both also like a comfortable night attire. You're right. She was always at a muumuu. She was. She was, and she was constantly hitting on her own husband. That's true. Maybe you are and then, Mrs. Roper. And, and then pretty much everybody else. And then who am I, Janet? Come on. 
The I'm, sensible one. I know, but Janet's but no when fun. It comes, but when it comes to partying, you are a Chrissy Snow. Because she, she, she's like a, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think I'm maybe I'm just like a smarter Chrissy Snow. No, no shade, yeah. but she wasn't super smart. Um, that's that's yeah. That's I'll that take was, that. Who was who was the other girl? Oh, oh, the the smart one because the, there was a smart because there was a when Chrissy left, there was another blonde, wasn't what there? What was her name? Yes, absolutely. Because Janet didn't leave, did she? No, Janet did not leave. Janet and Jack were always there. And then it was Chrissy, and then I can see her face, but I cannot think of her name. This is I another know. one. This, <laughs> this well. is like Growing Pains Part 2. This is just, <laughs> this is, uh, thank you to everyone, by the way, who reached out and, and uh, sent me the music video for that song. It's wild to me that I probably only saw that episode twice as a kid, and that song remains in my brain to this day. And if you asked me to sing it in this moment, I couldn't, I'm so lost in my own reference right now, and I'm continuing to speak while I search the wine-soaked parts of my brain trying to remember what was the swamp swept away. See, if I keep talking, I eventually get there. <laughs> well, look, I'm, I'm going to uh, put you out of your misery now. Yes, Janet was always there. Yes, the friend's name was Larry. Um, Chrissy Snow was from 77 to 82, Terry. Terry, of course. Terry Alden was 81 to 84. But was she the smart one? Because there was another one that was a little bit ditzy, and then there was a smart blonde, I believe. I think Terry was the smart blonde. Um, Wasn't there a third? Was there one before Chrissy? I don't think so. Mm. Who am I thinking 76. Oh, well, Chrissy was 77. There is a third. And the other two are 76. So maybe I just have to go there. Cindy? Cindy. Oh, no. Well, Cindy was 1980. The, oh, well, she may have come in for a time. Oh, but I love that I'm, <laughs> I look at Mrs. Roper and I'm like, yep. Yeah, I get it. Her and I, <laughs> we see eye to eye. We get it. I just feel uh, good that at least I'm not being accused of being a Mr. Furley. You know what I'm saying? No, you could never be a furly. Thank you. Oh, uh, I mean, oh, this is, yeah, I think you're right. I think at the very, very beginning, maybe in the pilot, there was somebody else. I'm pretty sure there was three blondes by the end. I'm not sure, again, of the, the chronology, but I believe there was three by the time they were done. Oh, God. Again, I mean, the beautiful thing of this show is if I had known, I could have researched this. I know, but we never know where we're going to go. I'm shocked. ever guessed we'd get to Three's Company? But at the same time, I'm shocked Three's Company has never come up for us before. Yeah. I mean, oh, my love of John Ritter. Oh, yeah. I adore him, and I always used to, here we go, I always used to have a huge crush on Jack Tripper. (laughs) 213. <laughs> well, if you think I don't hear it like in my head, like a deli counter with those tickets that you <laughs> that you pull out. Oh, and Jack Tripper just ripped one off and went 213. <laughs> Is 214 his son Jason? <laughs> oh, yes. Shout out to Jason Ritter, the the, the sweetest human alive. I was on um, Another Period with him. He is 
just the greatest. Uh, it's so Ed funny. It's adorable. So, so adorable. cute. Um, that is hilarious. Okay, so great. Great. We're up to 214. This is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> you're welcome, Allie. <laughs> yep. Thank you. And you're welcome. Uh, and also, I'm sorry, we're not going to keep counting along because I will we, have forgotten we by then. But uh, And you need to feel untethered. You know what I mean? You need yeah. to just be you. And when that yeah. means you come up with some statement, like maybe you're sexually attracted to Sam the Patriotic Eagle Muppet, <laughs> I want you to feel free to say it. You know, this is the safe space. Oh, I don't know if there's a Muppet I'm into. Really? Not one? I mean, I mean, emotionally. <laughs> Physically, no, but like emotionally, oh, oh shit, I'd probably let Fozzie spoon me. <laughs> emotionally. Emo of course. Emotionally. I love that. I'm like, oh, I couldn't date Fozzie. I've dated too many comedians. <laughs> oh. I mean, oh, I mean, who's left? Kermit. I would date Kermit. Oh, well, I don't think Miss Piggy would let you. No, no, no. She'd I mean, be I would a never. nightmare. I would never do that to Piggy. No. You know what I mean? Hogs I before that. frogs. Hogs before frogs! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that oh, was come nice. On. Oh, this that was show, nice. This show's a really beautiful thing. When we talk about what Muppet would you bone, beautiful <laughs> things start coming out. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I love that I'm just, I'm like racking my brain. and I'm I like, could yeah, see you. No. I could see you with Gonzo, if I'm being honest. I could see in another world you with Gonzo. Wow. Oh, God. We wouldn't talk, though. <laughs> you wouldn't have the couch banter like me and Thor. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, I do. Uh, oh, Thor. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard uh, with the Muppets because I, I've seen them as babies. And when you watch them grow up, it's, it's hard. It's like Tom Holland is <laughs> Spider-Man. It's like, oh, he's still a child. <laughs> he's a young boy. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, I'm not being creepy though. We're talking, we're no. talking wholesomely, like you know, of course, wholesome emotional love, exactly. Yes, but again, hands picnics, the whole deal. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, I will also just say there is a new Muppet Babies cartoon, and they, I, I found out that there is a baby Sam the Patriotic Eagle. Mm -hmm. I don't, and I, I, it's everything I didn't know that I needed in life, but now I'm obsessed with. It is he is the cutest thing I've ever seen. And I love the episode because, of course, I immediately had to watch it, follow it, but find it and watch it. Because um, the whole the whole thing is that he just wants some alone time, and the other Muppet babies feel like it's like they don't like him. And he's like, "No, I just sometimes would like to be al alone and read." And I was like, "That was me as a child." So I just also <laughs> felt like, "Wait a minute, am I in love with Sam the Patriotic Eagle? <laughs> is this classic projection? Where's the psychologist at?" Well, look. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, okay, if if we're considering all Jim Henson world Muppets, not just who we consider as the Muppets, oh, I think Cookie and I could be very happy. You and Cookie Monster. I think so. Cookie and cookies. Because I get it. 
Yeah. I get that level, except mine would be like fries or potentially nuggets. Yeah. Doesn't have the same ring as, you know, cookie or whatever he says. But (laughs) the point is, I get it. Yeah. I get that mentality. And it's like, yeah, we're just going to both binge. And I get it. Because you know what? Big Bird is sweet. Yeah. But I think just too naive. Sure. And it would drive me crazy. Yeah. Uh, Plus, there's the snoring. Yeah. uh, Which is adorable on paper. Of course. Until you're next to it trying to sleep. Good luck. Uh, Oscar. Ugh. I just, I need a little, it can't always be rain. Put a little sugar on it, Oscar. I need a little sunshine. Yep. Um, Ah. (laughs) I love that Cookie Monster is. Yeah. Grover feels too sweet and naive. Of course, yeah. Elmo was a child. Yeah. He was the Tom Holland of that production. I'll, t- I'll <laughs> say that much. Poor Tom Holland. He will be like 40 years old. Oh my God, I'll probably be long dead by the time he's 40. <laughs> <laughs> no. But he'll be like, he'll tur- he'll turn a certain age and I'll be like, there's no way. He's still 24. Yeah. Is he even 24 yet? He has to be, right? Does he? He's probably shockingly older than I think. He might be, but he might not be because he's dating Zendaya, isn't he? And and she's Are pretty young. Are they still? Because they, they were. They were. Did they break during, up? Don't do well, this they, to me. They were during one of the first two Spider-Mans. And then I think they broke up. And I think now they're just friends. But I hope oh. they're together because, honestly, they're lovely. Adorable. Right. And I love that. Thank God for IMDb. And I'm going to say it right now to the kids. You have no idea. Because the conversation we had earlier about Three's Company, if we didn't know the answer, we just left not knowing the answer. Yep. And you know what else would happen is that you'd get into arguments. There would be somebody who would be adamant about something, and you'd 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 just fight till you'd tire. You'd argue until you'd tire, and there would never be resolution. I I have to tell you how old Tom Holland is. I'd like to know. Twenty five. Shut up. <laughs> I thought I, it was maybe twenty three. I had to use a calculator just to be sure. <laughs> Thank you for 19- checking your work. <laughs> 1996. 1996. 1996. He's 25. I love that. I'm like, does that math check? According to my calculator, it does. Not because in my brain he was 23. And I was like, that doesn't work out. I've still convinced myself he's 23. What now? So here's the thing. Oh, no. Tom Holland. Yeah. Born June 1st, 1996. Sure. Zendaya. September 1st, 1996. You're meant to be together, just be together. I would never normally recommend anybody pair up before the age of 30, but if you're Tom Holland and Zendaya, I'll give you a pass. Yes, I have just Googled Tom Holland. Oh, 15 hours ago, Cosmo has a relationship timeline. (laughs) Accept all the cookies. I need to see it. (laughs) This is where she's at. 
Oh, they're adorable on the red carpet. Oh, this is a lot of reading. Just tell me yes or no. What, what I thinking? like is that this opening to the show is really giving people a taste <laughs> of what it's like to just, ha- this is really what it's like to hang out with us. It is this true stream yeah. of consciousness. Well, what is that? I don't know. I'll look it up. Like, this is it. You're getting it. You're getting a real taste. Um, is it too, will, do we need to fall, do we need yeah. to do an update next week about the relationship status? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to, I okay. have to put a pin in it because. I'm going to put it on the list. Update Zendaya and the little <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love is how many listeners are like, oh, fuck, we're going to talk about it again. <laughs> and to that I say, yep. Yep. Well, unless listen. we, unless we get distracted and talk about something else. But I'm convinced that our upbringing is why we are the way we are. Yep. Uh, mainly because we grew up without the ability to be like, who was in that show? Quickly look it up. And so now we're like, now that we know, we know the pain of living without it. So now we just got to go for it. Absolutely. You don't want to see us when the Wi-Fi's out. I thought to myself last night, gosh, I remember when Instagram was down for that day? <laughs> I was beside myself. I remember. I remember. It was it beside was harrowing. Myself. Harrowing. It was like and the episode we recorded like the next day or oh we recorded one that night, didn't we? We did, yeah. Where it was like the only thing. It was like it was the news and Zendaya and Tom Holland because it yeah. was all I could think about and oh, I don't do reels nearly as much as I did at that point. But if Instagram went down now, heaven help us all. Well, you ain't just whistling Dixie. Well, listen, before we get into the case, which of course is Tamla Horsford, uh, I got to ask you what you drinking over there. Oh, I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for booze. I don't even know what that means. Uh, I'm just hydrating with a water and destroying my body with a massive Slurpee. I like the sounds of that. I've yeah. got not one but two cans of Pomplamoose LaCroix and a giant mug of water that says Harvest Wishes on it. Because I liked, my favorite song of all time is Harvest Moon Harvest by Moon. Neil Young. And I like the messaging. Uh, so I was like, that feels nice, even though we're past the harvest now, getting into winter. Um, also no alcohol, but I'm having such a good time. I might pour a wine on the break. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I get it. We, I also we feel- dipped a toe into this. Oh yeah, you know, I, non-alcoholically. So why I not? also feel like we may be gearing up to another dry January because I did do a dry January last year, and I got to tell I you, did. the holiday last year it was because with the pandemic it was like I mean we were all drinking more than ever. I feel like this year yeah. I feel like because it's the holiday season and you can actually go out and do some stuff and you can see some people and stuff. It's oh, yeah. now it's boozing even heavier because it's just like this is awesome, and I'm like, oof, you're gonna need a break come Jan one. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, the episode, of course, is Tamla Horsford. Now this is our November Patreons poll pick. Uh, again, over there we have a poll every month where you can vote if you are a patron uh, for one of the episodes we cover on the show, and that is this episode. So if you're not familiar, I'm gonna give you a little breakdown right now. 
The body of stay-at-home mom Tamla Horsford was found outside on the morning after an overnight party in November 2018. The other party guests claimed that Tamla was last seen in the kitchen, saying that she was heading outside for a cigarette before heading to bed. Police concluded that when Tamla went outside, she must have fallen off the deck. Her death was ruled an accident, and the case was closed. So, if it was just an accident... Then why did a second independent medical examiner note numerous abrasions that the first autopsy missed? And why did the other party guests have conflicting stories about what happened that night? And why did one of the party guests illegally access the police file on the case during the investigation? Wowzers. Yeah, this this is going to enrage you. Oh, great. Yeah. So just brace yourself for that, because that's where we're at. I've been yelling about this for a while now, so <laughs> it is buckle it up. Is. Yeah. So once again, dear listeners, we find ourselves in a case where there isn't a lot of information about the victim's life prior to the incident. So I'm going to present as much information as I can, but just know that if it seems like I'm not sharing a lot, it's because unfortunately there isn't a lot to share. So Tamla Ayana St. Jour was born October 10th, 1978 in Kingstown, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. According to a book written by Ruth Canton, Tamla's parents, Kirtland and Elizabeth, moved their family to the Bronx in 1989. At some point while living in Florida, Tamla met Leander Horsford. At the time, he had a daughter from a previous relationship. Tamla and Leander got married around 2012 and had five sons together. At the time of Tamla's death, her sons were between the ages of four and 14. Her daughter was 24. Tamla was described as an amazing and compassionate person who was very active in the community and her children's schools. She loved cooking, spending quality time with her family, going to the beach, dancing, and bringing joy to others. Tamla was known for being larger than life, warm, vibrant, and charismatic. In early 2014, Leander got a job opportunity and the family moved to Cumming, Georgia. Two of Tamla's sons were in the youth football league in town, and through that league, she met a group of other football moms. One of those moms, named Jean Myers, invited Tamla and eight other women to a party in honor of Jean's 45th birthday. Jean didn't want the fuss of going out, so she decided to invite her friends to her house to drink, and to avoid anyone driving under the influence, they decided, make it a sleepover. The plan was to watch some college football, or more specifically, the game between the LSU Tigers and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And for those who aren't familiar with college football, LSU is Louisiana State. And when I say, for those who aren't familiar, I mean me. And me. Yeah, I I, I get most, like, major sports, but once you get college in there, I'm... Oh. It's, it's so many... I, I don't have time. I'm sure they're lovely. Uh, on the evening of November 3rd to 2018, the guests began to arrive at 4450 Woodlet Court around 7 p.m., with kickoff happening around 8. 
Tamla Horsford arrived at 8.30 p.m. and went into one of the bathrooms and changed into a white fleece onesie that was covered in paw prints. Now, this whole party might get overwhelming to hear about because there were 12 people in attendance, so I'm going to throw a lot of names at you, but I will do my best to help keep them all straight. And while this is going to sound like something mean to say, it's not mean intentionally, some of the names don't mean as much as others. Some of them come into the story quite a bit. Some are just, right. they were in there briefly and they're gone. Uh, in attendance that night, the homeowner, Jean Myers, Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, Jean's aunt, Madeline Lombardi, Jennifer Morrell, Paula Seals, Sarah Cockerham, Marcy Harden, Nicole Lawson, Bridget Fuller, Stacy and Tom Smith, and the victim, Tamla Horsford. With exception of Jean's Aunt Madeline, who was in her 60s, the female party guests ranged from age 33 to 46. The I just assumed that this was going to be only women, so it's interesting to me that some of the husbands were there. Well, yeah, we get into that very briefly, I think. If not, we'll circle back. But, um, yeah, there were... There were two men specifically. That's the thing. The The woman whose birthday it was, Jean Myers, she was very like, it's going to be women only. This is how it's going to be, whatever. But yet she invited her own boyfriend. So it's like, but then. That's why? interesting. But then the the other, the one husband then showed up and it's a thing. But okay. we'll get there. Yep. Uh, so the women watched the game in the living room on the main floor of the house. The party was meant to be women only, but Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, and Stacy's husband, Tom Smith, watched the game in the basement. Husband, side note. So according to Jose, when Tom dropped off his wife, Stacy, at the party, he just decided to stay. But according to text messages sent between Stacy and her fellow partygoer Nicole on October 31st, Stacy said, quote, Tom wants to come hang out with us, lol. And Nicole responded that it was fine with her. So whether the party hosts knew or not, Tom was planning on attending the party. We will get more into Tom at the party. Okay. At halftime, the men joined the women upstairs for gumbo and snacks, and then just stayed upstairs for the rest of the night. Also during halftime, Jean's aunt Madeline Lombardi, who lived at the house with Jean and attended the party, retired to her basement bedroom, took a bath, and went to bed. Relationship clarification side note. While Madeline is only ever referred to as Jean's aunt, it turns out they aren't technically related. Madeline is Jean's mother's best friend. Not that it matters. I just like my information as clear as possible. After the game, the group started to play Cards Against Humanity. Several photos and cell phone videos were taken throughout the night, and the group all seemed to be having a great time. Tamla had brought uh, with her a bottle of Coralejo tequila. It was meant as a gift for Jean, but Jean turned it down saying she doesn't touch the stuff. So Tamla started drinking it herself. Investigators found the bottle at the scene and claimed it was only about one eighth full. 
They all claim Tamla was the only one drinking from it that night. The women all drank heavily, and when asked, most claim that Jennifer Morrell was the one who appeared to be the most inebriated to the point where she was put to bed before anyone else. Throughout the evening, Tamla stepped outside to the back deck for a smoke break. At one point, Tamla started smoking pot, but Jean asked her to stop as Jose was a pre-trial officer and Jean didn't want him to get into any trouble. According to Jean's statement, when asking Tamla to stop, Jean referred to her as, quote, female Bob Marley. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Jean. Wow. Yeah. Tamla FaceTimed with her daughter and had her say hello to everyone at the party. They all agree that this happened, which is weird, because according to Tamla's call log, this call happened at 12.32 a.m. And two of the guests, Sarah and Nicole, both claim they left at 11.30 p.m. But if they left at 11.30, how were they part of a call an hour later? I know everyone was drinking and timelines can get easily confused. But both women claim they left early due to childcare needs. So if they were going home to relieve a babysitter, wouldn't it be easy to verify with the sitter as to what time the mothers got home? It just seems that these women weren't seen as suspects, as it's believed that Tamla was still alive when these women left the premises. Also, a lot of reports claim that Sarah and Nicole left at 10.30 p.m., which is even less likely if they supposedly said hello to Tamla's daughter at 12.32. Most of the women were planning to spend the night. Jean and Jose headed to bed around 1.30 a.m. At the time, they both say that Tamla was in the kitchen alone. At 1.47 a.m., Bridget Fuller's husband, Michael Pallarino, arrived to pick her up. Bridget told the police that Tamla was eating a bowl of gumbo and said she planned to smoke a cigarette before heading to bed. I'm going to say it now, and I'm sure I'm going to say it again later. We are going to get a lot of conflicting stories throughout this, and we're all going to get frustrated about it but we're all going to get frustrated about it together. So if that yep. makes it any better. We're in it now. We're going through the madness together. Let's do it. The next morning, around 8.45 a.m., Madeline was on her way upstairs to make some coffee when she looked outside to check the weather and noticed a body lying face down in the grass. She later told police, quote, I was just staring out the window and I saw those Dalmatian pajamas. So I didn't start the coffee. I got on my knees, said a prayer, and then ran upstairs. Madeline went to Jean's bedroom, knocked on the door, and said that Jose was needed immediately, as there was something wrong with Jean's, quote, friend from the islands. Couldn't just say Jean's friend, huh, Madeline? <laughs> It's, this is, I mean, this is already, all of my alarm bells are going off. Yeah. Mm. So Jose and Jean went outside to find Tamla lying motionless in the backyard. Jean called 911 at 8.59 a.m. I'm going to try and post a clip of the call somewhere because it is not at all what you'd expect for a 911 call. And I know that everyone reacts to things in different ways, but there was something so off about the whole thing. In the same tone of someone ordering a pizza, Jean flatly said, quote, 
Hi, yes, I need an ambulance and the police at my house. Just very matter-of-factly. After giving her address, Jean was asked about the situation. She said, quote, We had people over last night and there was drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking and we just went outside and she's face down in the backyard. I'm guessing she fell off the balcony. She's stiff. When asked if the victim was breathing, Jean said, quote, I don't know, but she's face down. When Jean was asked, what happened? I already said that part. Then out of nowhere, oh, she's doing her, but just get I thought you meant that Jean said, I've already said that part. I was like, no. oh, she was spicy. Okay, no, 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 gotcha. no. no. Uh, Christy's the spicy one here tonight. Oh, she's doing her best. Just getting by. Getting by. So while Jean is on the phone with 911, being very calm, very just, I need an ambulance. Like, it, it's wild. And again, I know everybody reacts differently, but it's just wild. Out of nowhere, Jose takes, takes the phone and he admits he hadn't checked for a pulse, but he checked the body and she appeared to be stiff. Then he stated that there were security cameras installed on the deck, and he's sure that if she fell, the cameras would have caught the whole thing. But the thing about those cameras, they didn't have any battery power left. And both Jean and Jose would have known that as Jean received an email from the security company back in August to say the batteries in the camera were almost dead and they needed to be charged ASAP, which they were not. Again, I wasn't there. People react differently to situations of high stress. But why did Jose take over that call? They claim it was because Jean was too upset to continue, but the call didn't sound upset at all. It was the flattest 911 call I've ever heard. I have more emotion in my voice when I call to make my cats a vet appointment than these people did to say they think their friend is dead. Jose told the 911 operator that, quote, I'm noticing a small cut on her right wrist. I don't know if this cut was self-inflicted. Which is an interesting what? statement to make. Because it's also not... I mean, we'll get into what it was. Are you a medical pathologist? Are you a medical examiner, Jose? It was just a, it's not at all the kind of mark that would be as you would see and think is self-inflicted. So it was just a weird, it felt like he was painting a picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something else odd about the 911 call. At one point, Jose is asked about the victim and he says, quote, her name is Tam Horsford. He then spells Horsford and says, quote, black female. And I know that some may say he was just trying to be thorough, but the operator didn't ask a gender, let alone a race. So, you know. Jose also made sure to point out, quote, she was the only smoker here. Which I felt was interesting, as though he was trying to lay the groundwork for the idea that Tamla had fallen during a smoke break. The first police arrived on scene at 9.07 a.m., the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office and Coroner's Office were dispatched to the scene. Lead investigator Detective Michael Christian described the scene as, quote, Tamla was located in the backyard in a prone position. She was laying with her head away from the residence and her feet toward the residence. Her left arm was approximately 40 degree angle from the body. Forearm and hand were bent toward her in the approximate 10 o'clock position. 
Her right arm was straight and by her side. Her legs were straight behind her, both feet pointing to the right. Inconsistency side note. Yes. All the police reports claim that Tamla was found in this position, with her legs straight and one arm bent. But according to Madeline, Jean, and Jose, who all saw the body before the authorities arrived, they all say Tamla's arms were both straight along her body. Jean said, quote, I don't know who failed in documenting what, whether the coroner, the officers on the scene. I don't know if somebody moved her. I don't know, but that's what I saw. While on the phone with 911, the operator asked if Jose had checked her pulse. Jose said, quote, no, but I did bend her leg back and she appears to be stiff. He never mentioned touching either of her arms. So then I want to know, did Jose move the body when checking for vitals? Or are they lying about how the body was found? And for real, why did it take them until after calling 911 before checking for vitals? If I saw a friend of mine lying in my backyard, I'm going to immediately run up to them and check and see if they're breathing. Yes, we did not do that, apparently. But the issue of whether or not Jose moved Tamla's arm would come up time and time again. According to a report written by Police Lieutenant Andy Callan, he claims during a phone call with Jose on November 7th, Jose stated he was advised to check Tamla's left arm for a pulse. The report states, quote, so Barrera did in fact move Tamla's left arm. And yes, the 911 operator did ask Jose to check Tamla for a pulse, but she never specified which arm to check. Because that also feels like a very specific... You, do they normally say you should check that hand? As opposed to just check for a pulse? I just found it weird. You find someone lying face down on the ground and you didn't check for a pulse. Like, there is no way you checked for one. <laughs> like, Jose said that Kalen's report was bullshit. He insisted not only did he not tell any detective he moved Tamla's arm, he did not move the arm because, quote, there is no way I checked for a pulse. And I want to know, how is there no way there's somebody lying there? And no part of you was like, I, I just won't check. And the 911 operator was like, can you go check for a pulse? And he claims that he did after he was asked, but now he's claiming he never checked. There's no way he would check. This is really interesting because if I'm putting myself in those shoes, she moved there in 2014, I believe you said, and this is 2018. So feasibly, they've known each other for some time. Now, I don't know how when Jose came into the picture, but she's known Jeannie, not Jeannie, so sorry, Jean, for some yeah. time uh, at this point, at least a couple of years. This isn't a stranger. If I looked outside of my house and there was a complete stranger on my yard, I might feel scared to approach because, right? Yeah, this isn't sure. a stranger. This is someone that nope. you just partied with the night before that you've known for years. That's really odd behavior. That's like a that's a yes. massive red flag to me. But anyway, oh, preaching yeah. to the it choir, preaching to the choir. I know it doesn't stop. Uh, so Tamla was pronounced dead at ten forty-seven a.m. It took a while for this to happen because a court. 
According to a Georgia law that was put into place in October 2016, a medical professional must be present to declare a person deceased. Tamla was just 40 years old. In Detective Christian's incident report, he suggested that Tamla tripped over the landscape edging that was between the rocks and the mulch under the deck. Tamla had a mark on both of her shins that appeared to match the metal landscape edging, which stuck up out of the ground about an inch. However, according to the medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Koopminers, it was not possible for Tamla's injuries to be caused from a simple fall from ground level. Dr. Koopminers did an autopsy on November 6th. According to the autopsy report, Tamla's right wrist was dislocated. There was a large cut on her wrist as if the bone had pushed through the skin from the inside. Oh my God! Yep. Severe injuries to Tamla's head, neck, and torso were also noted, including bleeding in the space between the brain and the skull, bleeding between the brain and the membrane that surrounds it, broken neck, and a laceration of the right ventricle of the heart. There were matching abrasions on Tamla's shins, which the coroner said, like the police, uh, correspond with a piece of metal landscape edging. Dr. Koopminers said that, quote, other than the broken wrist and cuts on her shins, no obvious signs of injury presented themselves. She had a broken neck. And the bleeding in, around her brain and... And the, the torn ventricle in her heart? Like, it's just wild. Wow. In Dr. Koopminers' final report, he concludes that Tamla's injuries were consistent with a second-story fall, saying, quote, it appeared as though she may have fallen from the deck, which was approximately 14 feet off the ground. During a police interview, party guest Stacy Smith said the idea of a fall from the deck was confusing. She said, quote, I've been on that deck like a million times. I've looked and I've tried. I just don't understand. The detective then suggested perhaps Tamla leaned over the railing because she was going to be sick. Or maybe she sat on the railing while she was smoking and lost her balance. Stacy still didn't believe the theory, saying that Tamla didn't seem sick at all. But the officer, during her interview, when there's logs that show this interview, just repeatedly kept pushing the fact that it was just a fall. She fell. It was easy to do. The railing on that deck was between three and four feet high. So you wouldn't think someone could stumble and then go over? I'm sure it's possible, but again, we'll we'll get into it. The thing for me is that Tamla was found unresponsive, and yet no one tried to help her. No one tried to resuscitate her or even check for a pulse. The tox panel came back with Tamla testing positive for THC as well as Xanax. Her blood alcohol level was 0.238, which is almost three times the limit in the state of Georgia. And investigators were never able to pinpoint where Tamla might have gotten Xanax from. All the partygoers unanimously deny any knowledge of Tamla taking any Xanax. And since alcohol and Xanax are both depressants, mixing the two slow down your heart rate, breathing, reflexes, and motor skills. It could send a person into cardiac arrest, respiratory failure, or even death. So is it possible that Tamla was dead before her body was taken outside? We'll get into more of that in the theories portion. Here we on. go. 
Something of note in the autopsy report is that Tamla's fingernail clippings weren't collected. No sexual assault kit was done. Apparently these things are not routine and don't get done in a case where foul play is not suspected. But I say, shouldn't these kind of things be done in every case so you can have an entire picture before you assume it was an accident? The idea that they didn't check to see if there was someone else's DNA under her fingernails when she had numerous abrasions on her body feels, I don't know, irresponsible? Yeah. If a a healthy person is found dead at the age of 40, maybe, and I'm just spitballing here, maybe you run as many tests as possible to prove without a doubt that it was an accident. And since I'm already talking about things uh, I think the forensic investigators failed to do, I might as well point out that they didn't test the contents of the bottle of tequila that Tamla allegedly drank throughout the evening. And maybe I'm just naive, but why wouldn't you test the alcohol that the victim was consuming alone? That just For, I don't know, traces of Xanax? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The autopsy report was finalized February 5th, 2019, with the cause of death listed as multiple blunt force injuries and the manner of death as an accident. Just two weeks later, on February 20th, the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office announced the investigators found no evidence of criminal activity during their investigation and that Tamla's case was officially closed. They backed up their decision, saying that between acute ethanol intoxication, and the fact that the medical examiner ruled that Tamla's multiple blunt force injuries were consistent with a fall from the deck, Tamla's death was an accident. In the public statement, the sheriff's office stated, quote, During the course of this investigation, detectives have conducted approximately 30 interviews and spent well over 300 man-hours conducting this investigation, with a finding of accidental death resulting from a fall as recorded by the medical examiner's office, along with the extensive findings from the investigation of the county sheriff's office, the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office has closed this death investigation. Their theory was that Tamla went outside to have a cigarette on the deck, became ill due to the amount of alcohol in her system, and then went leaned over the railing to be sick and fell the 14 feet to the ground below and broke her neck. They also noted that Jose Barrera had found a lighter and an unlit cigarette on the back deck when he was on his way to seeing the body for the first time. There was also the case of the door alarm log. Jean had multiple security systems set up in her home, and one in particular would send a text notification to her phone to tell her whenever the door in the home opened or closed. I've seen a screenshot of the last few times the doors were open, which included the door opening at 4.10 a.m. when Marcy Harden left for work, although technically it was 5.10 a.m. because daylight savings happened that night at 2 a.m. and the time had not changed, been changed in the system yet. The fact that daylight savings time has to come into a case is like, well, then I wouldn't be able to solve it because that's... My Achilles heel. Time zones, man. Time, Time zones. zones. Yep. Prior to Marcy leaving, there were notifications to show that the front door opened and closed at 1.47 a.m. when Bridget Fuller was picked up by her husband. But when Bridget left and Marcy left, the back door opened at 1.49 a.m. and closed at 1.50. 
The back door opened again at 1.57 a.m. and never closed. Investigators believe that Tamla, allegedly being the only one still awake, went outside for a cigarette at 1.57 and fell off the deck before she was able to actually have the cigarette. So let's say that after Bridget left, Tamla went out to the deck to have a cigarette. She opens the back door at 1.49, pulls it closed at 1.50, smoked outside for seven minutes, then opened the door again at 1.57? But the door alarm log shows that the door was never closed. So what happened there? Or did she open it at 1.49, close it immediately changing her mind, and then open it again seven minutes later? And while that part of the alarm log bothers me, I'm also bothered by the fact that Jean insists that Tamla and Bridget were the only ones awake when she and Jose went to bed at 1.30. But if that's true, then why did the garage door open and close at 1.40 a.m.? According to the log, the garage door opened at 1.39 and closed at 1.40. The garage door opened again at 1.40 and never closed. But with the homeowner allegedly in bed by then, who accessed the garage? There was an also an unknown door activity at 1.34 a.m. And honestly, I know I say it all the time regarding a police computer, but just give me the full log of these notifications. Please, yes. I hate that I only have a screenshot to go off of. I would like to see just, I, wanna, I want papers and papers of these so I can write down what I find suspicious because the garage door opening and closing at 1.39 after the homeowner went to bed is so suspicious to me and the police didn't seem to care and that is also suspicious to me, but you know. And speaking of other security systems in the home, there were also video cameras at the front of the house and on the back deck. But for some reason, the ones on the back of the house weren't charged. Jeanne said that she got the cameras because she was going through a rough divorce and her ex-husband had shown up at her house and she wanted the cameras in case he tried to come to her house again. The cameras need to be charged with a specific cable and the camera company emailed Jeanne in August to say the battery was running low. According to Jean, one day while tidying up the house, her aunt Madeline saw the cord and thinking it was a phone cable put it somewhere, and they've just never been able to find it since. And to that I say, well, where do you put phone cords, Madeline? <laughs> Go to wherever you put phone cords. So they weren't able to charge the cameras. The batteries died. But according to Jean, by August, things were starting to get better with her ex-husband, so she wasn't too concerned about the cameras anymore. Thing is, Jean did have cameras at the front of the house, and I think it'd be safe to assume that they might be the same type of cameras from the same company. Well, those cameras were in working order, so wouldn't whatever cord you use to charge those cameras probably work for the cameras at the back? I mean, that's just assuming that they're the same kind of cameras. But regardless as to what type of cameras were at the front of the house, there was no recorded footage found on the weekend of the party from the front cameras. In fact, the first videos saved from the front cameras in the month of November was November 8th. Does this feel suspicious to anyone else? Yeah. This is all, of course, allegedly, and I am not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying it doesn't seem to add up. 
Now, the idea of the case being closed so early on is wild to me, but that's not the only thing that happened in the case in February 2019 that I'm enraged by. Something else that happened, it came out that Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, who worked as a pretrial officer at the Solicitor General's office in Forsyth County, had been fired December 2018. Why was he fired? Oh, no big deal. He was just caught abusing his position to illegally access the incident report on Tamla's case and provide copies of it to five of his friends. Shut up. Jose was placed on administrative leave December 17th, 2018, and officially terminated December 20th due to, quote, loss of confidence. He accessed a file on an open investigation where he was also a witness. So yeah, you got fired, Barrera. His reason for looking at the file was, quote, morbid curiosity. But to me, you only risk your job if you want to know if the police are close to the truth of what really happened. Absolutely. Jose was also fired from a previous job with the state probation office for lying. He allegedly had a relationship with a woman at work, and they were both fired because of it. And if that wasn't sketchy enough, something else that bothered me about Jose is the fact that he claimed that he was walking across the deck to see the body for the first time. He noticed a lighter and an unlit cigarette on the floor of the deck. So as he walked past them, he stopped to pick them up and place them on the outdoor fire pit. Now, it should be noted that Jose has stated in interviews that he, quote, took enough death investigation courses to know about touching the body, which is why he just tapped her on the back instead of checking for a pulse. And to that I say, you may have taken the courses, but did you pay attention in any of them? Rule number one of crime scene is don't touch anything. And yet he picked up cigarettes that he found on the deck? And I know everyone reacts to situations of stress differently, but if someone tells me, oh my God, there's someone lying face down in your backyard, I'm not going to stop and pick things up on the way to seeing if that person's okay. Jean claims Jose must have picked them up because, quote, he's pretty OCD about stuff. And as someone with OCD, I get the instinct to move things to a certain place, but while you're rushing to check on someone... OCD just sounds like an excuse to me at this point. Yes. And since the investigators went into this case immediately, assuming that it was an accident, they didn't check the cigarette or the lighter for fingerprints. In fact, they didn't check anything for fingerprints. Jose's dismissal didn't come to light until February 2019, when the partygoers, who Tamla's friends and family had started to refer to as the Forsyth Twelve, started to have public disputes with a friend of Tamla's named Michelle Graves. Michelle publicly accused the group of being responsible for Tamla's death. The group sued Michelle, but the lawsuit was dismissed. Jean also petitioned for a restraining order against Michelle, claiming, quote, I have been dramatically affected emotionally by this tragedy occurring, not only to my friend, but at my home. I have yet to be able to truly grieve her passing, as these women have tried to make me defend myself about something I didn't do or can't explain how it happened. Jean lost the restraining order petition. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the case was officially closed February 2019, but Tamla's family refused to believe that her death was merely an accident. But the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, or GBI, didn't see a reason to reopen the case. So Tamla's father, Kirtland, hired an independent medical examiner in another state to do a second examination. The autopsy note noted various cuts and bruises that had not been noted in the previous report. And then the Black Lives Matter movement started to pick up steam on social media, and a Change.org petition was created to reopen Tamla's case. As the Black Lives Matter movement grew, the petition caught the eye of celebrities like 50 Cent, Gabrielle Union, T.I., and Kim Kardashian, who all helped spread the word about the case. The petition gained more than 700,000 signatures. Ralph Fernandez, a lawyer for Tamla's family, then released a letter which stated he felt the evidence showed, quote, homicide is a strong possibility, saying the abrasions on Tamla's arms and hands could be potential defensive wounds. Fernandez also pointed out that many of the witness statements had conflicting stories and that despite asking for the autopsy photos, the investigators failed to provide any. After Fernandez's letter was made public, the GBI released a public statement to say that, yes, there were in fact autopsy photos taken, and they stood by their findings. Fernandez responded by releasing a second letter in June 2020 that included records of the numerous times he requested autopsy photos from the GBI and was denied. The GBI claimed they couldn't give photos because they didn't have a release signed by Tamla's family, something that was never mentioned to Fernandez until he'd gone public. Clearly, giving in to public pressure, Forsyth County Sheriff Rob Freeman then released a letter of his own on June 12, 2020, asking for the GBI to, quote, assume and open an investigation into the tragic death of Tamla Horsford. You gotta love those moments where it's like, oh, well, we can't do that because we don't have that form. It's like, well, you didn't tell us we needed the form. Like, gaslighting to the nth degree. Uh, I mean, wow. I have written so many notes. I have so many theories already. I I am just so invested in this. This is a wild one. Uh, But let's take a very quick break because I think I am going to go get that. Oh, I know. Uh, Get yourself (laughs) a drink. Hit the can. We're going to be right back and talk more about the case of Tamla Horsford on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We are, of course, talking the case of Tamla Horsford. Uh, before the break, Christy was informing us that, thank goodness, the case was reopened uh, June 12, 2020, or that was when the letter was sent. But I have a feeling um, that small sliver of a bright light is about to be extinguished. <laughs> oh, give me some credit. I'm going to take a little while before I bring you back down again. Excuse me, of course. <laughs> ah, so, yes, so the sheriff's office was like, hey, yeah, we totally need you to reopen that. And the GBI actually listened, and Tamla's case was officially reopened, which means the GBI had to re-interview all the witnesses. And for some reason, all those interviews have put, been put on YouTube. So I'll be honest, I spent hours listening to these interviews and it didn't make me think that these people were any less involved. Again, none have been charged with anything, and I'm just alleging here. But their stories started to change, and I know that time can do funny things to your memories, but to be so inconsistent with your side of the events feels suspicious to me. Again, I trust no one. You can't. No, you can't. When police spoke with Jean's aunt, Madeline Lombardi who you may recall was the one who found Tamla's body, Madeline originally said that when she first saw Tamla, she thought she was just sleeping. But the more Madeline looked at the odd positioning of the body, the more she knew there was a problem. So Madeline went back downstairs to her bedroom to say a prayer, then back upstairs. She noted that Tamla had not moved, so she went up to knock on Jean's door. Madeline said, quote, I knocked on the door and Jean said, come in and Barrera was sitting up in bed. I looked at Jean and I said, I just want to talk to Jose. I want him to come downstairs with me. And when Jean asked what was wrong, I said, your friend from the islands is laying in the backyard and she's not moving. Jose immediately headed outside and Jean called 911. Although according to the uh, report by Detective Michael Christian, his original police report says Jose called 911 which we know isn't true because we've heard the call. During the new interview, Madeline said that after seeing the body, she went downstairs, splashed some water on her face, then went to tell Jean something was wrong. Then Madeline, Jean, and Jose headed to the backyard, where they were joined by Jennifer. Which I find fascinating, since in Jennifer's original statement, she contacted her husband around 8.30 a.m. to pick her up, and she left before Tamla was even found. Now Madeline is saying Jennifer was there the whole time. So what is it? That's a pretty difficult thing to forget, whether or not you were there when a body was found. Yes! And, and not to mention, during Madeline's first interview with the police, she said that after she notified Jean and Jose, Jose went outside by himself, checked on Tamla, then called 911. But we know that isn't true because Jean was the first one to speak with 911. But Madeline said Jose went out alone, and now she's saying she was also there, and so was Jean, and so was Jennifer. Now, something I want to mention about Madeline's first interview, when she was interviewed the very first time during the initial investigation, Jean interrupted the interview to offer the investigators gift cards to Dunkin' Donuts. 
Stop. Yeah. You heard me correctly. During an official police interview, Jean interrupted to literally bribe the officers. The officers openly declined the cards, and Jean claimed she just wanted to offer them because they worked so hard. And to that I say, Jean, they were doing their jobs, and from what I can tell, not very well. Also, what a shitty bribe. (laughs) Give them a Starbucks card at least. It's... Amazing. And the fact that there is a current photo of three of the women from this thing, one of them being this John, wearing masks that all have the Dunkin' Donuts logo on it. I'm like, what is with you and Dunkin' Donuts? Does she work for them? She must. She must. She must in some way. And that's how she got the cards. But also, like, interrupted an interview to be like, hey, you guys work so hard. Here's some donut gift cards. Like, it's just wild to me that it's like, you don't do that. Of course not. Why? Even if she got them for free from work, so it doesn't feel like it's a real bribe. You know what I mean? I'm sure someone could argue, well, I got it for free. I was just trying to be generous. It's like, it's still a bribe. You can't do that. It's true. And it's also different to me if she was, if she went there during a different time, but she interrupted an interview to be like hey time runs on duncan or duncan what's the <laughs> there's some sort of time there's it always doesn't. time for duncan i there, don't know yeah that actually she's makes, like hey guys there's more where these came from like jesus it's Ugh. wild to me yeah so when stacy smith was re-interviewed she said earlier in the day before jean's party she hosted her sister's baby reveal party now, I don't know what Stacy means by baby reveal. I don't know if she meant gender reveal. Her sister announced her pregnancy on October 9th, 2018, so I doubt they had a party to reveal the pregnancy a month later. So let's assume Stacy meant a gender reveal party. Well, that means we're in for a Christy's gonna do math side note. According to the sister's baby announcement, the baby was due April 2019. So I tried to figure out approximate weeks because I wanted to know if she was lying. I love this. I started with an assumed due date of April 1st to get a conception date. Then I got the conception date if the due date was April 30th. Based on those numbers, that would mean Stacy's sister was between 14 and 18 weeks pregnant on November 3rd, 2018. Now, according to the internet... Depending on the baby's positioning, the gender can usually be identified by 18 weeks. So the the math kind of works out. It's possible she was throwing a gender reveal party. I just had to be sure. I had to check her alibi because I know the cops weren't gonna. But I'm also just super skeptical, and I know what you're thinking. Why would Stacy lie about something like that? Because she lies about multiple other things. For example, Stacy originally said her husband Tom wanted to come to hang out. Well, now she says she threw her sister this reveal party and a bunch of her sister's college friends were staying at Stacy's house and Tom felt it wouldn't be appropriate for him to be at the house alone with them. And to that I say, did Tom decide that or did Stacy decide that? Yeah. Stacy also said that her husband stayed in the basement the whole time and only came up for cake. 
but the men said they came up at halftime and stayed up for the rest of the night. So did they stay upstairs or not? Stacy also claimed she went downstairs to get her husband to get the fire pit going, and that Tom was the one who moved the propane tank. So did they stay downstairs all night and only come up for cake? Or did he also come up because you asked him to start the fire pit? Why is this so confusing, Stacy? We'll get to the propane tank in a moment. Great. So something else that came out during the second investigation was a potential answer to the question about how Xanax came to be at the party. As you may recall, Xanax was found during the talk screen in the original autopsy, but Tamla didn't have a prescription for it. So where did she get it? The partygoers insist that none of them saw Tamla take Xanax. But they failed to mention during the investigation one of the women at the party was known for carrying Xanax around. Bridget Fuller allegedly wore a necklace that was full of Xanax. Stop it. And I don't know if that's true, but that is so Sarah Michelle Geller in Cruel Intentions, and I <laughs> don't know what to do with that. And not only that, Bridget was also allegedly known for giving it to her friends whenever they needed it. In a text message from November 4th, 2018, the day that Tamla's body was found, someone sent Bridget, quote, I hate to ask, but I can I please get more meds? It really helped me. The women then made plans to go somewhere and exchange the pills. During the second interview, Stacy admitted that Bridget had given her Xanax when she had a death in the family in 20, December 2018, about five weeks after Tamla's death. Stacy said she needed Xanax to get by, as the deceased was her goddaughter, Taylor, and she had to help plan the funeral. But the thing is, according to Taylor's grandfather, Rick, not only did Stacy not plan the funeral in any way, but Stacy also wasn't Taylor's godmother. Rick said that Stacy was a childhood friend of his daughter's and that, quote, her interference into their lives has done nothing but cause heartache. Whoa. Then there's Marcy Harden's 2020 interview. You may recall Marcy was the one who got up at 5 a.m. to leave for work. Marcy said she knew Jennifer the best at the party and most of the people she met there for the very first time. She said she was drinking blueberry, blueberry vodka and ginger beer or soda water. She had it for the first time at her birthday and loved it, decided to bring it to the party. Marcy commented she shared a room with Jennifer, and they were the first to head to bed around 11. And yet, Marcy admits she spoke with Tamla's daughter over FaceTime, which we know happened at 12.32. Marcy said Jose hooked up the TV for Jennifer and Marcy and put a movie on for them. Which is interesting, since Marcy claims she went to bed first because she had to get up early. Doesn't it seem odd to head to bed early? just to watch a movie instead? I mean, I'm fairly antisocial, but to leave a party to watch a movie in a separate room in that house feels odd even to me. I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm just saying that it's odd. Would I go into another room of a party alone and sit and pet their dog? Absolutely. <laughs> That's Would the two of us leave a party and take a nap in the middle of it? Sure. 
Yeah, we did do that. And we took, we went and pet the cats. That's how it started. I we think. did, yeah. We pet we the cats the- and the, the bed called to us. <laughs> and then we missed New Year's. You know, things yep. happen. Yep. Things happen. Uh, so Marcy left around 5 a.m. and said the lights and TV were all on in the living room, but she couldn't see anyone. She also did not see whether or not the back door was open. Marcy said she first learned about Tamla's death when Jean called her and said Tamla had died and Marcy needed to come back to the house. But according to Jean, when investigators asked her to call everyone back to the house, Jean was instructed to, t- to not say that any, just to say something had happened and that they were needed. She was told, do not tell them that this involves a death. So did she go against what the police told her or is Marcy confused? about when she was told that Tamla was dead. When the investigator said, quote, I have to ask some pointed questions. Marcy snapped, why? Like, it, yeah, her response was, what, like, unexpected, because she had been so calm, and whatever was asked of her before that, she was fine, but it was that, why? And it's like, well, you're in a police interrogation. That's why. <laughs> yeah, because a woman has died. Yeah, well, a person has died. The answer is because they didn't ask the first time. Those pointed questions were, did you see her fall? Did you push her? Did you do anything knowingly to knowingly cause her death? And to that, I say, how were those questions not asked the first time around? Yeah. Marcy then said, quote, I understand that she fell but this has been so traumatic for everyone else. I didn't know this woman, and this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. And while I'm sympathetic, I just want to say it was a worse experience for Tamla, Marcy, so take it. And nap. if that's the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to this woman in her life, what a charmed life you live, Marcy. And I'm not saying allegedly. If that's the worst thing, you had to sit through an interrogation and deal with the fallout because someone lost their life, you've lived a very easy life. Yeah. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I just can't. No, I, I, I can't. I know. I'm not accusing her of, of doing anything. I'm just nope. saying, like, you, that's a privileged experience. A hundred percent. So Jose Barrera's interview in 2020 changed from his original interview in that this time he claims, quote, when everyone was going to bed, I went downstairs to get my charger or something. By the time I came up, everyone had decided where people were sleeping. So now he's claiming he made a trip downstairs that night. During the same interview, Jose also claimed that it was Jean's idea for Stacy's husband, Tom, to hang out for the night, which we know Stacy had planned days prior and that it was Stacy's idea. Jose then claimed that at halftime, someone called down to say there was food, so Jose and Tom went upstairs. In his original statement, Jose claimed at halftime, they decided to go up and look for some food. Not a huge difference, but enough that it makes me uncertain. Something else, not in Jose's previous statement. In 2020, he claimed for the first time that during the party, him and Tom ran to get ice from a shell station about two miles or 3.2 kilometers down the road. He said they came upstairs at the half, ate for a bit, then left for ice and were gone about 10 to 15 minutes. Ice was never mentioned in the first investigation. 
Something else not brought up during the first investigation, the propane tank on the back deck. Photos were taken of the tank because it was sitting in a really weird position near the railing, and another photo focused on a section of dirt from the top of the tank that had been wiped away. And for some reason, that wasn't a red flag to the original investigators. During the second investigation, officers finally asked about the propane tank, and suddenly the partygoers claim at one point they all went on the deck to try and light the tabletop fire pit. They claimed they moved the propane tank while trying to get it going, and they weren't successful. Didn't mention that at all the first time around. I just find it interesting that they claimed the first time that Tamla was the only person who ever went on the deck during the party. And now they're saying they all went out to start the fire pit. And Stacy specifically said during her interview that, quote, lots of people were in and out on the balcony. So was Tamla the only one outside or was everyone? Why change your story if you're not covering something up? Yes, that's a huge difference, too. There's a huge difference between she's the only person who went out there all night and every single one of us went out there multiple times. That's a huge discrepancy. Yes. A hundred percent. One thing I find very interesting is in every interview in this reinvestigation, each guest who attended the party made sure to specifically state that they played Cards Against Humanity, all remembered the specific name of it, and that Tamla was the only smoker. It was never asked. They would just always specifically bring it up in their interview as, oh, she was the only smoker. And it's like, well, then why did all of you go outside with her then? Right. It feels like they were trying to build the storyline that it was like, she's the only one who had a reason to go in and out. Yep. I agree. I just, again, it's just a very specific thing to point out. Maybe I'm just paranoid. Maybe paranoia is what makes me good at my job. Am I complimenting myself now? Maybe. (laughs) I like that. That's where we're at. Uh, One more interview from the reopened investigation that I find interesting is a neighbor of Jean's. He witnessed two people leaving the house with a crock pot around 9 a.m. while he was heading out for breakfast. The couple in question is believed to be Tom and Stacy Smith. But if they left around 9, by then Tamla's body had been found. Is it possible they left just before her body was found and the neighbor was slightly off on his timing? Maybe. But I find it interesting that people left so close to when the body was found. Another thing the neighbor said, he claims two days later, Jean came to his house to say she owed him an explanation. Jean allegedly told him that the videos from her camera showed that one of her party guests went out for a cigarette and fell. Which is interesting because we know there was no video. Was Jean just saying that so her neighbor would instantly believe that Tamla's death was an accident? I just find it wild that both Jean and Jose have made comments to people about the video. And then when the police asked about it, oh yeah, the video doesn't exist. So the second investigation didn't just bring up things about the partygoers. It also brought up some stuff about the investigators, like how the lead detective on the case, Michael Christian, resigned in October 2020. 
And it was because of an internal affairs investigation that started to look into allegations that Christian sent multiple women confidential information about the case. Christian, who was married at the time, was allegedly having affairs with at least three different women. He texted the women photos from the crime scene, photos of Tamla's body. Stop. Even shared toxicology reports as well as Snapchats mocking Tamla's case. When speaking with these women about the case, Christian referred to Tamla as, quote, the porch lady. Stop it. In the Snapchat messages that Christian sent on the day Tamla's body was found, he made jokes about having to notify the victim's family, saying, quote, Hello, sir. I know we've never met, but I'm here to tell you your wife and the mother of your six children is dead. Oh, yes, I'm happy to report that she was really, really drunk, tripped, landed face down in a backyard, and I know you have fun memories. Enjoy corralling these six boys who are now going apeshit. What a piece of shit. Uh Uh-huh. Then, in another message, dated November 19th, Christian said, quote, Greetings from racist, cracker, bastard, murder, covering up land. How are you? Mm-hmm. Christian admitted to sending the messages, saying that he was just being sarcastic and it was done so in poor taste. But Christian denied sending any photos from the crime scene, which I find interesting because if you look and dear, dear people, don't, don't. um, If you just search for like crime scene, there are photos of her body. And they had to come from somewhere. So, yeah, yeah. They don't just leak onto the internet from from nowhere. That doesn't typically happen. Nope. In January 2021, Christian said, quote, I am far from a perfect human. I chose to end a long-term extramarital relationship abruptly. This person, out of anger and hurt, chose to go to Sheriff Freeman with a list of alleged misconduct on my part. In 2020 hindsight, I would not have resigned but stayed for the investigation and taken what punishment was fitting up to termination. As is, the internal affairs investigation lacks my side of the story and makes me out to be something I'm not. All the good I've done in 16 years of law enforcement is gone with this document. Honestly, and I know I might get some heat for saying this, but you shared photos and information about an ongoing investigation with random women you were trying to sleep with. I don't give a shit what your side of the story is. There is absolutely no excuse that could justify what you did. You were disrespectful and you deserved to lose your job. The internal affairs investigation found that Michael Christian had in fact, quote, violated his oath of office and neglected his duty. The Forsyth County Sheriff's Office said, quote, Mr. Christian's personal actions are the reason he is no longer employed by the Sheriff's Office. While his personal decisions violated our policies, those actions do not change the professional work other deputies have done on the case. This agency has always been and will continue to be transparent in our actions, even when we falter. And honestly, I don't care how much he's done in his career. Mocking the death of anyone is uncalled for and distasteful and, in my mind, erases any good that you had done previously. Christian ended 
his official statement with, quote, I chose my wife of 15 years over another woman. We are together and undergoing counseling. I made the right decision. I may never drive a patrol car again, but I have the real love of my life and that's all I need. First of all, dude, from my understanding, it was three other women. Second of all, choosing to stay with your wife after trying to get with other women doesn't make you a hero, and it doesn't erase being disrespectful about a victim or sharing confidential police work with random women. What that statement says to me, psychologist hat, is that you're trying to suck up to your wife so she doesn't realize that she deserves better and leaves your sorry ass. That's where I'm at with that. Well, also, notice how he worded it. I chose this. What you should have said is, my wife, the angel human that she is, was willing to give me another chance even after all of this. And it made me realize how truly lucky I am to have this in my life and what a piece of shit I am for having cheated on her for all these years and causing her all this pain. Yeah. The, f- the fact that even in there, he, he takes he takes credit. He chose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, and then we're just going to throw in quickly another investigator on the case named Greg Cannon was allegedly fired for having a DUI while working. Oh, God. Uh, I, I could not confirm how accurate that was. But from my understanding, this incident happened after his work on Tamla's case. In July 2021, after a nearly year-long investigation, the Forsyth County District Attorney announced that the GBI had concluded their inquiry into the death of Tamla Horsford and that no charges would be filed in her death. It was concluded that Tamla's death was an accidental fall from the balcony. So, after two investigations, both came up with the same result— Whether we like it or not, we have to ask ourselves, what is the motive to kill Tamla? She was well-liked, didn't seem to have an enemy in the world. Well, some have suggested that maybe race played a factor as Tamla was African-American. The party took place in Forsyth County, which has a dark, dark history of racism. First off, it is a predominantly white suburb, about 40 miles or 64 kilometers northeast of Atlanta. Only 4% of the community is black, compared to 32% in the rest of the state. In 1912, there was a, quote, racial cleansing, where the town's entire black population was driven out of town. And we're talking 10% of the town, or 1,098 people. They drove them out. In 1987, there was a white supremacist gathering in Forsyth County, and in that same year, Oprah Winfrey took her show to Cumming, Georgia, to talk about the town's upset over the idea of race mixing. I tried to watch that segment because I love Oprah, but honestly, I could barely get through it. Listening to white people saying their community should remain white is just a mentality that I cannot get my brain around. And I just, no, no, no. And I should say, I'm not suggesting that everyone in Forsyth County is racist. I'm just saying 
They have a gross history, and some worry that might have played a role in Tamla's death. According to the Washington Post, in 52 of America's largest cities between 2008 and 2018, there were 26,000 unsolved murders. More than 18,600 of those victims were African-American. So is it possible the investigators didn't put in the normal effort because Tamla was black? It is possible. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying, statistically speaking, it's possible. Her case didn't make national news for two months after her death. And it's a wild case, so I don't know why people weren't talking about it right from the start. But before I move on from questioning if Tamla's case was treated differently because of her race, I have to mention some potentially racial law enforcement officers that I don't want to mention, but I will for the sake of this. In 2014, Deputy Coroner Chris Shelton was forced to resign from a nearby police force after photos came out of Shelton posting with racist dolls. Two years later, in 2016, he took part in Ron Freeman's campaign for sheriff, and after Freeman won, he appointed Shelton as deputy coroner for Forsyth County. So he didn't exactly pay anything when he was forced to resign in one county and then got hired on in another one. It's also alleged that when Freeman became sheriff, he hired Andy Kalin to, hi- to a high investigator position, despite the fact that Kalin had no prior police experience. The sheriff also bypassed the new hiring protocol when hiring Kalen, so he didn't have to go through any sort of background check or polygraph like the usual hires. Kalen and Ron were allegedly close personal friends, and Kalen was also friends with Jose Barrera. Stop it! So is it all connected somehow? It's possible. And now we're just going to get a basic point form list of things that bother me about this case in a cl- in a section that I've also oh cleverly titled things that don't sit right with me. <laughs> and uh there's a lot of things that don't sit right with me. So, Jean put her six bedroom, five bathroom house on the market February 28th. But I get it. If someone died in my house, I wouldn't exactly be jazzed to look at the crime scene every single day especially if I know more about what happened than I let on. (laughs) Allegedly. Why did Jean interrupt her aunt's police interview by trying to give the investigators gift cards to Dunkin' Donuts? That doesn't feel like the actions of an innocent person. Outright bribery. Come on, Jean. Jean's boyfriend abusing his power at work to sneak a peek at the police file on Tamla's case. They claim that it was morbid curiosity, but what it sounds like is someone who wants to know what the police know so they know how worried they should be. The simple fact that in the incident report, Detective Christian listed Jose Barrera as a white male. He's not. He's Latino. And I'm sure it's just a typo, but for some reason, it really gets my back up to see a report (laughs) incorrectly filled out. And just, it just, there's something about that that I'm like, why is that a thing? 
When the 911 call was made, not only did everyone seem remarkably calm, but no one attempted to give Tamla aid. They found her lying on the ground and called an ambulance. Jose admits he bent her leg, but he never checked for a pulse. No one tried to resuscitate her, and when the police arrived, no ambulance arrived with them. No evidence was gathered at the scene. Police did a basic look of the area, took a few pictures, but didn't secure the scene and waited two days before coming back to look at the scene again. During the second visit, they noticed what appeared to be a piece of bread found near the spot where Tamla's body was found. Was the bread there the first day or not? They couldn't be sure. No photos from the autopsy have ever been shared with Tamla's family or attorney. The medical office insists they were taken, but they still have not produced them. The crime scene was not immediately sealed, and even before the police arrived, Jose admitted to cleaning up cigarette butts that he'd found on the deck. The witnesses were not immediately interviewed. In fact, the friends from the party stayed at Jean's house for two weeks after the incident before they were interviewed. Why would they all stay at the house together if they weren't just trying to get their stories straight? Wait Allegedly. a minute. Wait a minute. The people that were at the party yep. camped out at her house for two weeks? From what I've been told, yes. That's wild. Come on, guys. It's, I can't. The abrasions on Tamla's shins. The investigators and the medical examiner believe they came from the metal edging that was under the deck. But based on the photos that show where her body was found, her feet are maybe a foot and a half away from that edging. And the marks on her legs are higher up on the shins. So how did she supposedly hit that edging that was more than a foot under the deck and end up in the position she was in? It wouldn't be possible to hit that edging if she had fallen. But for the sake of argument, let's say she did. It wouldn't propel her body forward two to three feet. I know I'm not an expert. It's just something is off. I also question the idea that Tamla fell from the deck, landed face down, and yet didn't break her nose in any way? I know I'm not a medical professional, but it seems like an injury that would occur in that situation. I mean, maybe the grass acted as some sort of buffer, but I'm surprised that after an alleged fall like that, landing on your face... Her nasal bones were still intact. That, for some reason, was a red flag for me. But again, well, I, your cheekbones too. I mean, you can break a cheekbone. It doesn't take as much as you may think. I mean, a fourteen-foot fall directly onto your face, your I entire mean, face could be smashed. Like that's not to be glib, but honestly, like I agree with you. It's well, I have I have theories that I've been concocting as well. So please continue. After the autopsy, the coroner burned the clothing that Tamla was wearing. Is, Is that protocol? That procedure? Yeah, I don't know. It's, why was that done? Mm. And one final thing that gives me a weird feeling about this case, Jean's mother paid for Tamla's funeral, as well as paid for Tamla's daughter to fly in for the funeral. When asked why her mother did this, Jean said, quote, 
I was upset that they didn't have insurance. And I get the idea of paying for the funeral of a close friend, but from the sounds of it, Tamla and Jean weren't exactly close. So was this just a nice thing to do, or was this done because of guilt? Don't get me wrong, I am relieved that her family did not have to pay for it, but it feels like something is off. But despite how I feel about the inconsistent stories and what appear to be repeated lies from the party of the group of partygoers, let me be clear. These people should not be harassed. Since the case has caught attention on social media, the partygoers and their families have received death threats. And I get it. I am angry at them too. I think they're all hiding something and it makes me furious to think that they are getting away with something. But with that being said, they shouldn't be receiving death threats. It's the dark hole of the internet where people think they can say whatever they want to anybody they want. Honestly, it is the reason that we don't have comments turned on on YouTube. Because there are a lot of people out there who are hurting in their own way, so they lash out at others and make threats. And while I'm not convinced of this group's innocence, they shouldn't be threatened. And to hear that people are threatening their children, stop it. And honestly, being frustrated over randos on the internet who have nothing better to do than threaten people online is just one of the many things that frustrate me about this case. Once again, here we are talking about a victim who deserved to be treated with more respect than she was shown. And I just have to believe that someone in that house knows something. And I hope that the guilt eats them alive so they finally come forward because a woman doesn't just break her neck at a party without anyone noticing. Someone knows what happened, and Tamla's family deserves to know what that was. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. Oh, wow. What a ride. What a terrible <laughs> ride. Yeah. What a terrible ride. Um, oh, God, I love that I just took a, a very large pause there as I was collecting myself. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to dig into here, and it is... I mean, I have so many questions. Yeah. The first one being, is it protocol to burn the clothes after the autopsy? That's something that we're going to need to get into because I <laughs> like like finding out because, uh, you know, but but again, the, the, the other thing that I just need to reiterate before we go any further is if you are a young person and you are <laughs> interested in a career and you think you got the stomach for it, mm-hmm. this country needs reputable medical examiners. I cannot stress this enough. Please, we beg you, we will come to your... <laughs> We will come to your college graduation. We've said this in so many episodes. Yeah. Like the Glee Curse. If you haven't, check it out. It's a romp. Uh, <laughs> I don't even think we said it in that one, but I'm just trying to work that into every episode. I know. Now. I love it. Um, but yeah, honestly, like, I mean, there's so many things. I also didn't realize until we talked about this before that a medical examiner was was like a, a elected position or that there was – or that they're not necessarily elected, but, but that you electing other officials – is obviously going to influence who they put in yeah. those roles, mm-hmm. which is bringing me to my next point very quickly, which is why it's so important to vote, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even in your local elections, uh, sometimes, you know, I understand people get frustrated, all of the above, but it is it is important if you want your voice heard. Um, yeah. Now that I'll, uh, I've got that off my chest, let's take one more quick break. Again, refresh your drink. I got to pour this glass of wine because I am 
I'm spent after this case. Uh, And we're going to come back and give you our theories on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to True Crime and Cocktails. We're talking about the truly infuriating case of Tamla Horsford. Um... We've come to the part of the show uh, where we're going to talk about our theories. I'm going to go through my notes, which I'm no longer calling my chaotic notes because they're no longer as chaotic. They're organized very neatly, which I'm proud of. And I have concocted a few theories. Um, And I will go so far as to say, I think there is a smoking gun. Okay. I'm having my, my Columbo moment. I think there is a smoking gun that's being ignored here. Not an expert, but we're going to go with it. Yeah. Uh, But before any of that, I just want everyone to know that on the break, we Googled. And (laughs) in the state of Georgia, the protocol about the clothing and any of the property collected from someone who's had an autopsy is that it is to be released to the next of kin um, or whoever has been appointed to that position. Yeah. I could not find anything about burning the clothing. Perhaps, again, if we dug deeper, maybe that's the protocol if the next of kin says they don't want the items or they don't want the clothes. Perhaps that's true. But again, that's what we do here on the show. We present the facts as we find them. And in this case, up to the minute. Yeah. We need more time about Zendaya and the little (laughs) Spider-Man, though. (laughs) I was just going to say, whether it's about autopsies or celebrity romance, we will give you up-to-date information if possible. Who knows? They could break up and get back together in the next week by the time we record next that's also part of the reason why i was like we can't do this now it could change it's ever changing ever so changing (laughs) god never stop being you never i never could never would all right so there's so many things that stick out to me again i'm just going to go through my notes and and get into the theories kind of i think as we go yeah the first thing that definitely triggered me I'm using the term triggered. Of course. Female Bob Marley. Mm. She, I'm assuming that she made that quote, She w- would have been in an interview after Tamla was dead. Yes. 
So you're speaking about the deceased. She claims that's what she said to Tamla. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, a few things. Doesn't mm-hmm. paint you in a great light, Jean, uh, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I'm suggesting that there is anything wrong with being identified as a female Bob Marley. I mean, Bob Ar- Marley is an icon and a treasure. Um, but for me, when it's coming from a white woman in a place where there's a very small percentage of black people, it just has a connotation to me. And it yeah. it just made me go, Ugh! like it was the first thing that made me kind of, yeah. you know, Things recoil. that make you go, uh yeah. <laughs> things that make you go ooh yeah um but the other reason why is because it felt like corrective like there was something about like you know what i mean like it was like almost i don't know how to say it but 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 the reason i didn't know what it was in the moment there was another layer to it for me and that came out when she said um when she turned down the tequila mm and I was like, first of all, how rude. Someone has brought you a gift. You don't have to open it and drink it. Just say. You say, thank, thank you, you so much. That's so lovely. And that was the same feeling I got that I had in that female Bob Marley moment where I was like, what is your friendship with this person? Mm-hmm. Why are you speaking to her like that? Why would you turn down her gift? It's thoughtful yeah. that she brought something for you. That's so rude. And it feels judgmental. Like, oh, I've, I don't drink that. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's just a tone to those two things. And I might be not using the right language. Forgive me. But and again, then when you hear things like her, you know, her aunt saying the female from the islands, like, again, it's these microaggressions that feel like, mm-hmm. you know, when you start adding them up, it's painting a picture. Yeah. Um, And again, right at the beginning, when Jose takes the phone. On that 911 call, you said that he said she's the only smoker here. So he's implanting that story from the beginning. Yep. Which I find very interesting. I also find it interesting that they started to really push the narrative that he had picked up the cigarette and lighter and moved it. Because to me, that felt like they were trying to justify why his fingerprints were on those items. And then Mm -hmm. the police didn't dust for fingerprints anyway, so it didn't matter. Yeah. But to me, it was one of those things where it was like he had been out there smoking with her. That's why his fingerprints were on those items. Oh, yeah. But they were like, we have to make it very clear that she was the only smoker here and that he just moved those the next day. And that's why his fingerprints were on them. I'm alleging. I'm speculating. That makes sense to me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um. There's no way I checked for a pulse. Also, what an odd thing to say. And I want to specify or clarify also when I said earlier, like if I saw a stranger dead on my yard. I would feel trepidatious because I would be scared. Is that person dead or not? I'm not suggesting I would not provide aid for a stranger. Of course I would. But I'm saying I could understand a hesitation to go like, oh, what is this? Is this a trap? You know what I mean? Also, Mm -hmm. as a woman, it's like, of course, you know, is this I have to also protect number one. But in this case, when it's someone that, again, you know, and you've known for years and he's moseying on, moving things around on his way there, like, if it's somebody I knew, it's like I'd be out the door like a flash. Like, that's just such a yeah. wild treating this person again like a stranger. Again, it feels like another, it's just another, you know, brick in the wall. Um, okay. The first time I wrote down, what is Jose's job? Was around the time of 
uh, the officer pushing in Stacy's interview that it was just a fall. It was just a fall, though. She just, you know, she bent over and it was a fall. That's when I wrote down, what was Jose's job? Because I remembered you'd said you had... He's and a I, pretial and that, officer. Right. And then when it comes out later, that's why I was losing my mind when you said that he lost his job for digging into the files, which is so egregious, by the way, mm. and sharing mm-hmm. them around. I knew it from the beginning. I was like, he's he knows people on the on the case he, or he knows people on the other side which we then know also that there was this other person involved yeah. it just feels again to your point there is n- morbid curiosity no there is no reason why you risk your job and you also just morally and ethically yep. make that kind of move unless the stakes are that high here's here's my personal belief in what the smoking gun is in this case. Now, I, I want to preface wait. this by saying I am not an expert in any way, but we've been doing this a year and I was a you know, true crime enthusiast before then. And by enthusiast, I just mean I consume the content. I don't love crime at all. Sure. If you are, are drunk yeah, and you go to lean over to puke, first of all, I believe you push up against a railing. You're not going to try and heave part of your body over. You're not going to put that momentum behind yourself. You're going to be trying to steady yourself, right? Because gravity is going to be trying to pull you down in general. So, So if she's going from standing still to puking, no way. Don't buy it. There's no momentum there to get her over the edge. Okay, so let's say she had momentum. Let's say she was walking over to the edge to puke. Is she going to push herself up and over? Because my whole point is this. If she, and I I love that I'm trying to act this out for people on on the YouTube video. Enjoy this. I've got a short on. I'm not nude. Um, (laughs) But if you're bent over like this to puke and you somehow, again, I don't see how, but you somehow fall You're not going to land on your face three feet away. You're going to tumble down and your body is going to go like this. Like you would land face up. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I do. You would, you would land, you would hit the top of your head and your body, you would hit the top of your head and you'd almost like do a roll. I'm saying if you take a, a, what I want is let me on that deck with a dummy, with a life-size dummy. If you think I haven't been thinking that exact same thing for days. Right? Yes. Because I'm like, it's bodies don't fall that way. In order for her to land face down, feet away, she would have to be launched. If you're drunk and there's, you're not creating momentum, you're going to crumple. You're literally, your body's going to go, your body's going to go like, uh, oh, right? Thank you for the sound effects. And thank you for reminding me, I guess, <laughs> once we've taken the the dummy to the, to the hotel and check out Ray Rivera's story from, what was that, episode four, I think that we did? Yeah, then I guess we're getting on a plane and heading to Georgia with a completely different dummy because you need to be like same height weight. Yep. To be able to, you know, see how it goes. Yeah, I uh, 
I want more than anything to. I will put my own funds into this. With a <laughs> I'm not kidding. We construct something well, 14 feet tall with a with a life size dummy to those specifications, and let's see. Because it just doesn't track to me. To me, that's a smoking gun. And I kept writing it down throughout my notes. I was like, body position, body position. But it was never investigated as a homicide. So therefore, it feels like no one cared. Also to the point, yeah, if you landed on your face, which by the way, you wouldn't. um, So that's the first thing also. Because here's the next part of this theory. Let's say for a second, she did fall over. Sure. Let's say it was an accident. And let's say that what they're saying, it, there is some semblance of truth, that she did take a tumble over. I'm not saying I think that happened, but let's say that it was legitimately an accident. The body was manipulated. Something else happened. Your bot, The body would not end up that way. It just wouldn't. So to me, again, the fact that it was never looked at seriously as a homicide, they never fully looked into the body positioning. How's the wrist that broken? How is your neck that broken? How have you torn a ventricle in your heart you're drunk this is the other thing when people get into car accidents not driving but uh, and uh, i'm not <laughs> in any way promoting this obviously of not. but it, they, they talk about that you're at such a state of relax that often your body is not as injured because people no. get very injured in car accidents because you're about to get in an accident and your body goes you, you and tense, you tense yep. and you get but when you're if you're that drunk which she was and also on xanax I don't know that this woman could even really be walking. So again, to me, that's the smoking gun, the body position. And I don't feel like anyone properly investigated that because it was never properly investigated as a homicide. In my opinion, I am alleging, et cetera. The next thing, and I'm coming for you, Aunt Madeline. Okay. We, We know, according to what we know about the security door, Alarm log. Yeah. That the door was opened at 157 and never closed. So was the door just open? Was it partially open? Like, is it a sliding door? I'm assuming it's probably a sliding glass door because I, I have a sliding glass door and right. I get I get alarm alerts too. So my question is this. Was it wide open? Because if the door was wide open and Aunt Madeline never mentioned that, why didn't that come up? And my next point being, where did she see the body? How deep is this deck? Because if this if it's 14 feet off the ground, yeah. and she's whatever, a few feet away from the deck, yeah. what's the angle? From what window? It's a great question. I assumed she somehow saw it maybe from the basement, but she clearly says she went upstairs to make coffee and looked out the window and then went back downstairs. So she somehow saw it. But that doesn't make it, again, I know I don't have the layout of this house, so I really can't speculate. But it doesn't make sense to me unless the house wraps around the deck. It does not. How are you, okay, great. How are you ever going to be on that angle to see past the deck? It's not, it's, it's, unless it's like you're on physics. the deck looking down or unless you're at the bottom on the, like in the basement and you look out that window, you might see her, but you won't see her from upstairs unless you are out on that deck. And to me, that's, that proves another lie. I think she was in the basement or 
you know, the whole thing could be potentially allegedly a lie. Because again, I'm like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That's the other piece that I couldn't let go of is that I was like, did you not see the door open if we know that the door was open? And then also, how did you, what's the angle? How did you possibly see this? I think there's also, it's interesting to me that none of them, if they had two weeks alone in that house together, which is also wild, by the way, do innocent people do that? I don't know. I don't know. I can't speculate. I've never been in the position, but weird, I think. Um, How was there never an intruder theory brought up? How did no one say, we're all accounted for? But if that door was open, according to the alarm log, and we didn't know it, and the garage was open and never closed. Yeah. Because at 140, at 139 it opened, and then it closed, and then it opened again and never closed. So, again, is in the grand scheme of anything being possible, isn't it possible that there could be someone we don't even know about that could have snuck into that house, pushed her off, uh-huh. or gotten into an altercation and left? We know that there were two open doors. There's a door open to the house that never got closed, and there's an op- a door to the outside. Like, again, like, to me, there's just, you didn't even want to go there? Yeah. It's just so, again, it's it's infuriating because, it's infuriating because, there's so many places that they could have even tried to take the heat off of. And I'm talking them or the police. It's like you could have looked in other directions, too. If OK, fine. You don't yeah. want to implicate the people there. Fine. What about that? What about this neighbor character? He seemed to be paying attention to what was going on over there. Where was he at that time? Can someone corroborate that he was asleep in bed? What's the relationship between him and that family? Do they have a past? You know what I mean? Like, sure. I, Again, we were born for this. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think I'm. I would love to know what the brand of the. Do you know what the brand of the cameras were? Uh, Arlo. I believe. I have those. I have those. So here's the deal. And you don't know how many they had. I believe there were four on the front and four on the back, but I could. Okay. Be wrong. Well, and I would have to double check this because it may have changed now. But when I was buying mine, you can only get them in sets of three. And so if you want more, then you have to buy additional cameras. So that suggests to me that they bought two sets of three and two additional. Yeah. Either way, I don't believe, and I, again, I could be wrong. Don't come for me if I'm wrong. I should have Googled this on the break, but I don't (laughs) believe that there's a set of eight that I know of. Let's say that there isn't, again, just based on my experience. Sure. Every set comes with a charger. So... I have a charger for my set of three, and I have yeah. a charger that came with my one on its own. So if they're saying, well, she lost the charger, couldn't find it, first of all, order a new one. I don't know if you know this, but there's a service that will deliver anything to your house within 24 hours. Jeffrey. <laughs> Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? First of all, order that's, that's bizarre to me that you would... Again, invest in eight cameras and then shortly after just lose interest because your divorce was going better. Okay. All right. Let's say that's true. Okay. I don't buy that they only had one charger for those cameras. I don't buy it. Right? Nope. Again, I I have two. Again, I bought a three pack and an extra one. So I have two of those chargers. Just saying. Yep. Um. Me. Don't move shit. (laughs) That's just what I wrote down. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, obviously. Obviously. Um, the story's changing is, of course, I don't need to explain to anybody. Bit of a red flag. Yeah. Uh, you know, the gender reveal party. First of all, kudos on your work doing the, those dates. I love that so much. Mm. Isn't it a little bit interesting that she was hosting all of these people for that party, and then that night was like, "Peace, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go to another party. Me and my husband. Enjoy my home. Bye." Doesn't that seem a little odd? It does. Yeah. It doesn't prove anything either way, other than just again odd behavior. Yeah, especially when they were like, "Yes, let's sleep over." When other people left the party early, so it's like you could have gone, hung out for a bit, and then gone back to the house where you're hosting people. Also, and listen, I am an adult woman who is in my mid to late 30s. Do I like a sleepover? I do. Do I plan them for my birthdays with a bunch of gal pals? I do. But the difference to me also here is you've set up a situation where a lot of people know where you are. A lot of you have very odd schedules, like got to get up at five to go to work, got to go home at one in the morning. Like it doesn't feel like these are, you know, usually for me, it's also at those times because I'm single and like, let's embrace the gal pal thing and go on a vacation, which is a bit of a different vibe than like, hey, everybody, let's have a group of 12 of us, (laughs) you know, come into this home and whatever. Um, and then you, one of them is also known for carrying Xanax and a necklace around her neck at all times. She's also known to give it to her friends. Um, you conveniently didn't test the bottle of tequila that the owner of the home turned down that then you're saying no one else had any of and there was only an, a little bit of it left. And she was yeah. smoking weed. There's just, again, like, it. it's starting to feel... And this is an allegation, alleging. It's not an allegation. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm speculating. <laughs> I'm whiteboarding. It's starting to feel a little bit like, was there a plan? Were you all showing up for a reason? Bigger than what you said? Interesting. I don't know. It's just odd. There's just odd behavior. And listen, odd behavior does not prove murder ever. But it's there's a lot of odd details to this. I don't know a lot of people in their 40s who are having co-ed sleepovers with some husbands and boyfriends and some not. And somebody's having a gender reveal hosting a large group of people but then leaves it to go to that. And then other people are like, oh, he put on a movie for me at 11. Like you're a child. There's just a lot of... And then afterwards, we are going to hold up in this house for two weeks with more than enough time to... I don't know. And the other thing I want to say very quickly is this happened in 2018 and they were being questioned again in 2020. Memories do not fade that quickly in two years. There are cases, again, if you listen to this show, you probably pay attention to true crime to some level. There are cases that happened in the 1970s. And let me tell you something. People who have been through it, their stories do not change to this day. Yeah. They don't. So the fact that everybody's story changed in two years... Yeah. Again, red flag. The fact that every single one mentioned she was the only smoker. To me, that feels like they're trying to make it clear she was the only one out there. Then all of a sudden, what's with this weird propane tank? Oh, well, we all went out there. This is wild. This feels like a weird movie. Like, it doesn't feel real at this point to me. 
I'm having another they all did it moment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's something just so off and it's wild that it didn't feel that way to any officer. Well, but then the officers are people like this Michael Christian character who's having affairs with multiple women. And by the way, to your point, I'm sorry, you can do a million great things. But guess what? The second you violate ethics, morality, all of the above. Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't matter how much good you did. No. It does it. it it doesn't. You know, it's that's like suggesting that it's like, and I'm not going to make a comparison because I'm going to say something that's going to sound glib and I don't want to. But like, you know, you can be a police officer and then what? You do get, let's say, a police officer who gives all these commendations then is convicted of a murder. Yeah. Are we then supposed to really celebrate all the great things he did? He did a murder. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, and I'm not saying he killed somebody. He didn't. But he definitely violated huge parts of what you have to ethically and morally agree to when you agree to carry a gun and uphold the law. And also, by the way, I'm so sorry. And this people are going to come for me for this. And I don't care if you're a man. I don't know how old he was, but I'm assuming he's probably over 40. I I assume he was in his 40s. And you're playing around on Snapchat. Go to bed. Take a nap. Take a nap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's not, I'm not saying that. I, I, I just feel like there's something about a dude who's, you know, over 40, who's got three girlfriends on the side of his wife playing around on Snapchat, trying to be all tough. That's mm-hmm. just like, you're, this is, stop it. Especially, yeah. and again, the last thing I'll say on him, because I don't want to give him any more of my energy. Joking about informing a family that their wife and mother is dead mm-hmm. is one of the most egregious things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Ever. Um, I I don't even want to go any further. Like, to me, it's like, that is so... And I think, you know, it's interesting, too, because this this was all happening, the the 2020 stuff, around the Black Lives Matter, the the whole movement that was happening last year. And what a horrific addition to an already long laundry list, obviously, but the fact that he kind of doubled down does not make me feel like, uh, the, you know, and then again, everything that you brought up, you know, the deputy coroner, this friend with Jose who was hired as a detective who had no experience and didn't take a polygraph or do a background check. Yeah. There's a lot of things in the favor of these people. And there's a lot of odd behavior that to me, it just feels like. And again, to your point, the, the big question is, what's the motive? I don't know. But the again, the tone of that 911 call, the attitude, again, I feel like Jean had turning down that gift, again, does not a murderer make, but it does just set a tone for what yeah. was the real deal here? What did you really think about this person? And why did you treat her seemingly like such an outsider if you yeah. were that close to her? Oh, agreed. Um, also, the asshat officer what women are like, yeah, send me a, send me a crime scene photos of the body. That's going to get you in. It's like, no, no, what's happening? And I will say, as I don't know how he reacted when he found out that one of these women took screenshots of the messages, but in my mind, it was the same thing that happened to Chris Delia 
when he was on that show and uh, he, he made a comment about Snapchat and he was like, Snapchat, though, those delete. You can't save those. And then they went, oh, no, you can't. And the look on his face of like, wait, oh, my God, realizing he was in so much trouble. It is a video that gives me so much joy. And I, I and they're playing that Simple Plan song, uh, something about like, why could this happen to me or why did this happen to me or whatever. I see that video in my head. Yeah. And that's what I think of when I think of that man being like, there's no proof. Snapchat deletes that. Those are my messages because he realizes he can't do anything. Um, look, I love everything you're bringing. I I have a relatively short theory. Give it to us. So one of the women at the party is known for wearing a necklace that contains Xanax. And that same woman is also known for giving pills randomly to friends whenever she felt they needed it. Xanax was found on the talk screen the contents of the bottle of tequila was never tested. During the party, it said that Tamla was hugging people and trying to get the more shy guests to like come out of their shell. There are photos of her from that night where like Tamla is draped across some of the other guests. So is it possible that maybe some of the guests got a bit annoyed with that behavior and someone was like, oh, she needs to calm down. And Xanax over there was like, well, I can make that happen. They put some Xanax in her tequila bottle without her knowing. Then maybe she passed out or had some sort of reaction to the combination. They all panicked, knowing the Xanax would eventually trace back to the only one there that had a prescription for it. We assume she did. So they come up with the story that she went out for a cigarette and then they pushed her off the deck and then waited for someone else to find the body. Allegedly. I'm, of course, then giving the aunt a pass in saying that they they were like, oh, she'll get up. She'll find her. There was also some sort of white, almost foamy substance in Tamla's mouth when she was found. Again, there are photos online. I promise you don't go looking for them. Those should not exist. Uh, there was no, those should exist in the police file. Those should not exist. Not publicly. Publicly. Uh, there was no foreign objects found in her mouth, but according to the photos that I mistakenly came across, there was definitely that substance in her mouth, which makes me wonder, was she having a reaction to Xanax and tequila combined? And there's that mark on her wrist that the medical examiner believed came from the bone going through her skin. But there was no blood at the scene. So did that injury happen somewhere else? Or was she already dead when that injury occurred? Because how do you have a bone go through your wrist where there is going to be like major arteries? And it, it would bleed so much, but it didn't bleed at all. Which makes you think she's potentially dead already when that when her wrist got dislocated. So was yeah. she dead when she was pushed off that balcony? Well, yeah. I mean... I would, I would think so. My point is, none of this adds up, and I refuse to believe it's an accident. And that's where I stand on this. 
there it can't be i can't there's too many too many things about this that nothing says accident to me is it potential that she you know tripped in the house and like hit her face because she had different abrasions on her head and her neck and they were all like oh my god what are we gonna do and assumed she was dead and like tried to get rid of the body and make it look like she fell and in the end they actually were the ones who killed her whether they realized it or not it's possible but i just don't see how this was an accident in any way and any officer that looked at that and immediately went obviously it's an accident should be embarrassed i have a couple of questions based on this yes do we know how tall she was i don't know and do we know how tall the rest of the people at the party were you probably don't but hear hear me out hear me out yeah what if they didn't push her but okay. they picked her up, four people, two under each arm, two take a leg, and they did one of these. Like the birthday bumps, but not. Like how you have Birth- one person on each limb. Oh. Have you I- <laughs> never done birthday bumps? <laughs> no, but <laughs> I guess I know what's happening come February. Um <laughs> But yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because for me, the thing I can't get past is that she was face down and it was like there was so much momentum. Yeah. But if you had four people and there's more than enough people in the house at the time, even more than that, perhaps is it possible they, you know what I mean? Rather than pushing her, because to your point, if she yeah. was dead already, if she was dead in the house, she's dead weight. And even a, even a tiny person, it's it's tough to manipulate an actual, you know, dead-weighted body. Yeah. But if she was a tall lady, good luck. It may, it would have taken multiple people. And you again, to my point, I don't think you could have just pushed her. So I think they could have, like, heaved ho it. And my other question about why, what were the heights of all the rest of the guests? Yeah. Why was the propane tank? Because you said the propane tank was, like, at the edge, right? Yeah. What if someone stepped on that, stood on it, to get someone short to get leverage? It's possible because it was right up against the railing. And the dust from the top of it or the dirt from the top of it had been brushed off, right? From one section of it, yeah. It's possible. As though somebody put their foot on it to get leverage because maybe they're not as tall as the rest? (sighs) It's possible. Because, again, you would think if they were like, oh, let's try to get this fire going, and they couldn't, that the tank would be right beside the fire pit. But it was over a few feet right up against the railing. What if this? Yeah. What if the wrist wasn't from that fall? Or yeah. what if some of the the injuries weren't from that fall, but it was a first attempt? Is it possible that in their first attempt to get her over the edge, she they came short or she didn't make it or whatever? And so then it was like, well, I need leverage. What, give me something. Move the propane tank. Someone, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then the second fall... Or the second one did it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it possible that some of those injuries were exacerbated by a failed attempt? Is it also possible that they had someone else come over? 
at 140 when that garage opened. They didn't want it to be on the door camera, so they had someone come through the garage door. There's no camera there. And then they reviewed the door camera footage and went, shit, you can see them. We'll delete it. It's possible. Again, this is all whiteboarding. These people may have had absolutely nothing to do with this. It could have been a complete accident. It just feels like... It feels like if it's this easy for us to come up with this many potential theories that were, you know, it doesn't seem like we're ever explored. That Mm -hmm. feels like what the real shame is here because everyone deserves, any victim deserves, whether your death is accidental or not, to have every possible corner searched, you know? That metaphor fell apart a little bit, but you know what I'm saying? Like they, it just doesn't feel to me like every possibility was explored and maybe it was, we weren't there, but we know enough about the specific police that were on this, this case that the credibility is gone. And, um, the fact that there is people involved in the house that would be suspect, never named as suspects, obviously, because it was never considered a homicide, but would be if there was potentially, um, yeah. Who had access to the files, accessed the files, shared them around, personal friends with somebody, again, working on the force. It just feels, again, like there's just so many factors here. It is such a tragedy. I think it's a real tragedy. Even if this was a 100% accident, I don't know that we'll ever know. And it's a tragedy to me that I don't believe absolutely everything was explored. Oh, no. And the Odds of it getting opened a third time to look into things? I mean, I doubt it. Not to be Debbie Downer, pessimistic Patty. I don't think that's a thing. Well, it is now. It's a thing now. Uh, The point is, I just don't... It took so much to get them to open it a second time. Yeah. I just don't see it being opened a third time. Which is horrifying to think about. It's horrifying to think about in the idea that if any of them had anything to do with it, the idea that they're going to get away with it, it just, it makes me so angry, you know? I know. Because the last thing that I will say, because we could speculate about this forever, because again, it's, there's so much to go on. Yeah. If she was... Again, like you said, going by the theory that you brought up, for example, if there was a, if she was, a Xanax was slipped into that alcohol yeah. and she had a bad reaction, it also feels like everyone could just corroborate that she asked her for a Xanax. So why then would there need to be a cover up if she died in the house? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why then yeah. did it have to turn into this other thing? It just feels like there's a layer here. And I think that that's what I threw out all of this. I'm trying to figure out. It just feels yeah. like there's a layer we don't know about. feels like there's something else at play yeah. that at this point, to your point, I don't think anyone will ever find out unless, again, th- there is and the guilt eats someone alive. Because it just feels like there's something here that we don't know that has to be a factor. Because it's just bizarre. Yeah, there is there is something missing. There's a piece missing. And it just hasn't come out. And we just need somebody. Somebody who is in that group 
to decide enough of this, I'm over it. And well, it's interesting know? too because Stacy in that one interview was like, I don't think anyone could fall off of that. Right? She she did, and the cop kept pushing her, and she was saying like, I don't think so. I don't think it could happen. I don't see how it could happen. Yeah. Feels like there may be something there. There may be something there. It is more than possible. Listen, Christy Oxborough, fabulous work. Well done. Uh, Mm. I mean, what a truly infuriating, maddening, uh, you know, upsetting case. Mm -hmm. Um, Truly, and just heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. My, my, hearing that bit about that, cop and the way he disrespected her and and mm-hmm. her family and hearing how other people disrespected um the process of justice and all yeah. of the above it really uh is very upsetting to me um it's upsetting in general but i just think that all of that is so deplorable um and i wish her her family the best i, 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 yeah. I feel really compelled to say that it just feels like what a terrible situation um but i thank you so much for your research fabulous as always uh so appreciated uh, and we thank you dear listeners for going on this journey with us if you haven't already give us a follow on social medias on the facebook the instagram the youtube at true crime and cocktails on uh twitter at not detectives and of course, patreon.com slash true crime and cocktails is where you can subscribe for bonus episodes, lives to vote in the Patreon poll for episodes just like this one. Uh, and of course, truecrewmerch.com is the only place to get official true crime and cocktails merch. So check that out as well. Now, Christy, do you want to tell everyone about next week's episode of the show? Oh, it'd be an honor. Oh, um, fabulous. On the next True Crime and Cocktails, second annual holiday hootenanny. That's right, dear listeners. We did it last year and we're doing it again. Uh, Did people complain that they didn't like the shenanigans? They did. And to them, we say you can ride the toe of our boot. Uh, We're so excited. We're going to have a whole lot of fun. We're going to go through the year. We're going to talk about the year. We're going to talk about lots of things. I will remind you, if you haven't already, you should check out last year's Holiday Hoot Nanny because Christy got so drunk, she doesn't remember the end and did take off her pants at one point. It was a romp, almost as much of a romp as the Glee Curse. (laughs) Check out that one as well. that's a callback, guys. You gotta, yeah. you gotta listen to it. Yeah. Um, listen to last week, and you'll know why. Uh, but yes, I'm very excited about the Hoot Nanny, and there is a very special surprise that we're doing this year to kind of kick it up a notch. Do you think we, we should tease it? Because we talked about it on the show before. I feel like we can get into it. Sure. As some people know, we did kind of discover our love of what we're calling cosplay or cosplay adjacency and uh you know the halloween this year obviously we dressed up as Riker and data we dressed up as cookies and pajama bailiff and for the holiday hoot nanny we are surprising each other yep in costumes (laughs) as characters from the movie love actually (laughs) we don't know who the other person has picked but I'll just tell you this. We've both said to each other that there is light sewing involved in these costumes, and yeah. I could not be more excited. So you're going to yeah. want to tune into that. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a whole lot of fun. We're going to have some fun cocktails. It's going to be a romp. Um, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Dave Grohl. Good night, future time traveling us.
Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.